Welcome to another episode of the China Flexpat podcast. And we have episode 99 now. And today we have a very special guest who is working for a Chinese company abroad. Welcome, Gianni. So my name is Gianni. I'm working now in Holland. Uh, but until two months ago, I used to work in China. So uh, in 2015, I started working in China. That's where my, my China story started and where I also met my wife. She is Chinese, uh, a wrestler, world champion, and we are the uh, lucky parents of two beautiful sons. So in my current position, I'm uh, doing sales for a Chinese company. We sell warehouse robotics, um, and the company is really growing fast. So I started working for the company last year in uh, 2021, uh, where we started with 600 people, and now we are already more than 1,600 people. And so in the process of only one year, we have uh, established subsidi subsidiaries in like Holland, the USA, Japan, Singapore, like everywhere around the world. So it has been a crazy, a crazy year for me. And then now after one year of working in China, I landed up back in my home uh, country in Europe. So uh, working from Holland now. Jenny, this is a really cool story. And it's unique in many ways. Tell me, how did you end up at High Robotics? So my background is I learned Chinese. I graduated about 10 years ago uh, at the Sinology department in Belgium. And then I started working from Belgium. I started working for Chinese companies like Huawei, ICBC. In 2015, I wanted to really see China and feel China uh, and really dive deep into the culture. And so I decided I wanted to move to China. And that's when I first came to China as an expert, expert working for a Holland company. We did ice rings. So I worked for Ice World. So that's ice rings. And that's also where I, where I fell in love with China. The way that I got into the company was really because of my relation with China. And that's how you also see, you know, when I started working, I started working at Huawei, which is, which is of course a telecom company. And I didn't have any background in telecom, but my relation to the company was my ability to speak Chinese. That was also my value to the company. And then I moved to ICBC. That uh, was, was the biggest bank uh, in the world at the time in terms of uh, assets and profitability. But again, there I didn't have any finance background. Again, my relation with the company was my ability to speak Chinese. I moved to China working for a Holland uh, company doing ice rings. And again, ice rink was not my background at all. And my relation to the company was... Chinese. So it's always has been uh, my ability to speak Chinese and to understand the Chinese culture that has helped me move to different companies. In 2020, when I was, I turned 30, that I was looking at, okay, I did all these things in the past, like different sectors. What do I want to do now for the next 10 to even 20 years? Which sectors are promising? Where are the market opportunities? And then where are my skills? And I realized that my skills are sales, obviously, uh, as I have been doing sales in all these companies for the past years, and Chinese. And then in terms of market opportunities, I was looking at, uh, for example, new energy like solar panels or batteries, opportunities for care for elderly people, because it's obviously also a growing need in the in the world of tomorrow. I even thought about space exploration. That's also, I think, a, a, boop, a booming sector. And so robotics and automation was one of them. And then I finally ended up doing this. That sounds a lot like Made in China 2025, that you pick the industries that are going to boom. What 
do you think about career planning? A lot of experts, they think that they should be an expert in one area, like robotics. And then they start the first job and then they get better and better and better. And this way they build a career. But you kind of cherry picked yourself through lots of industries and you always got good jobs. So that's not really fair. So, so how did you do this? I was interested in China because I started learning Buddhism and Taoism, Chinese philosophy, when I was 15. And then I started learning Chinese when I was 18. But the problem for us uh, Sinologists is that we only know Chinese culture and we only know Chinese language, but we don't have any hard skills. So when we start in the job market, it's really looking for what do I want to do? Really, you lack a lot of skills. To give you an example, when I started at Huawei, I started as a project assistant. After one year, I realized that I was doing quite good because I started as a as an internship and then I turned uh, official. But I realized that there was a growth gap. You know, there was a, a limit for me because Huawei really wants to have experts. Like you say, people who have sector expertise, who are really uh, professional in their own field. Uh, and so for me, that wasn't possible at Huawei because I didn't have the telecom back background. And then I moved to ICBC. Yeah, also an opportunity of, of luck, I would say. ICBC just started in, uh, in Belgium. Uh, and I, and I joined them basically at, when they were at, at their startup phase. And so there I really had to learn on the job. Maybe it's a, a challenge uh, as you start with uh, with zero, but it's also good because this handicap that I have also helped me. I'm, I'm, I'm a really good learner now. So after 10 years of working professionally, I really taught myself how to start from zero and, and learn and make myself more professional. But now you're in charge of the other side. You're doing business development in Europe. So what is unique about your company and how do you differentiate in the international market? When I, when I moved to uh, the robotics automation sector, that was again a, a challenge like I didn't have any experience, right? But I do, I do have the sales experience and I know how to bridge between cultures. So I, th I thought, okay, I need to find a strong Chinese company with good products that can sell to Europe because there I can, I can use my values. I can be valuable for that company. And so High Robotics is uh, a company that started in 2015. The founder is 33 years old. This company invented a new type of uh, warehouse automation solution. So a, a kind of a robot that works in the warehouse and helps with order fulfillment, let's say. It's like in Amazon or in Jingdong when you buy something online. Our robots will take the stuff out of the warehouse and take care of the order fulfillment. We, we started as an incubator, like as a, as a, as a student company, right? In Hong Kong. So the Hong Kong Science and Technology University. And so from there, we developed now after five years into a, a unicorn. So it's really, uh, it's growing fast and it's, uh, it's, it's moving in the good direction. So what are you planning to do in Europe and what's your exact, what's your role in Europe? Obviously, we started as a Chinese company and uh, our growth was fueled mainly from the Chinese market. And last year we started doing uh, international expansion. So we also attracted a lot, of, a lot of lot of investments, which help us fuel this growth. Yeah, Europe is one of the subsidiaries that we that we have now. And my role is as industry sales director is focus on the biggest accounts in all the industries that we are good at. For example, e-commerce, fashion and talk to companies like Adidas, Nike. I mean, we are like the top player in fashion, for example, and see what is their needs and how we can help them. So there will be an overlap with what we did for these companies in China, but there will also be some different needs based on European way of working and European logistics here in Europe. 
my role is basically selling business development, but at the same time also helping understand the European specific market needs and communicate these to our R&D department so that we can design better solutions and better products to serve the market internationally. So what would you say is the biggest challenge for a Chinese company to grow in Europe? When we started these subsidiaries and started hiring local people, I just told our CEO, I said, it won't be an easy journey because only already the cultural gap is so big. For many of my colleagues, I can feel it's it's quite an ad adaptation in terms of, um, for example, how the KPIs are set, how the bonus system works, but also basic stuff like language barriers. So that's maybe in, like internally as an organization, how can you integrate these different cultures and these different um, yeah, ways of working into one organization? This is really a, a challenge. What makes you special as a um, European who speaks Chinese? Why could not any other European do this role if, if he's selling in, in Europe? Yeah, so we have, so our team, we have salespeople uh, in different countries like France, um, UK, Spain, and there we have local European people. So like really French people, Spanish people, and they, they, they talk the, lo the local language. Uh, so these are invaluable to our company and there's no way that I could do their job. Then we also have some Chinese salespeople, and then we see that, or also, for example, management positions. When Chinese people talk to European companies, there is still a kind of culture gap and language gap, which is really difficult for Chinese and for European, for their counterparts to bridge. So this, this leads to a miscommunication. The value of these Chinese colleagues is that they are really needed to communicate with the head office, so to make the bridge there. So when we have an order, what is expected what in terms of product design, in terms of, uh, you know, customization and everything, and to, to keep the whole organization, to keep it moving, because our head office is in China, right? So you need Chinese. So my role and my value is, is unique in the sense that I, I speak uh, European languages. So I speak Dutch, basic French is okay, a little bit of German. And so I speak not just the language, but also the culture. When I speak to Chinese people, I will speak in a way, but when I speak to To Belgian or, or Dutch people, I, I will speak in another way because we have different ways of communicating. It's not just the language, right? My Chinese colleagues speak Chinese to me. Sometimes we try to speak English, but I must say that it's really my fault that usually we speak Chinese because for me, my Chinese is really good and it's better than their English usually. And so that's why we usually by default speak Chinese. How do you accept the Chinese working style? Because now you're working for the Chinese company in Europe. I could say you can train your Chinese company how to do business in Europe, but they are a Chinese company. So how do you accept their way of working? And where do they accept your leadership in explaining this is not going to work in Europe? I think the only way is to accept. So there is there is nothing else you can do. I prefer to work for Chinese companies. So I worked for uh, three Chinese companies. Uh, this is a third. And I worked for two uh, European companies. But I really liked working with Chinese companies because it's a growth experience. How do you accept? If, if you allow different cultures and different ways of working to change you, this is an opportunity for you to grow. And so there will always be some mismatches also in expectations. And then I guess as we're doing sales, and also our company is a very sales-driven organization, whatever the customer wants in the end, we will, we will do it. Chinese companies, they will, they will make it happen. They will, they, they're, they're happy to, to work in ways that, uh, that the clients can accept. So, I, so, so there is not a lot of uh, challenges there, but the main challenge is maybe like in organizations, the way we work, the way we communicate, it's different, but then 
I would say it's uh, it's 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 a change that that makes us uh, that makes us better. You grew up in Europe, and then you've been in China for seven years. After spending your whole youth in Europe, China in only these seven years could change you so profoundly. How is that possible? The earlier you come to China, the better, frankly, because I think I'm not speaking for everyone, but basically I feel that people, once they're at a certain age, like 30 to 35, it's really difficult to change. People don't change easily when they're older, like kids, like like young young people, like you said, you know, when you're young, you will change a lot. And I and I arrived in China quite early. I also worked for Chinese companies like Huawei, ICBC, just after my graduation. Uh, for most of my time, I've always been working with Chinese people. So that's uh, and it's really about opening up yourself and don't have prejudice. I remember the first year I was in China. I think I was complaining about you know so many stuff every day. But then at a certain moment, I think around after around one year, I just stopped complaining and I just accepted. And that's when I opened myself and uh, started really changing also my way of thinking and my views and my habits. How about the other side? How does your Chinese family accept you as a flex pet? And what kind of values do you want to give to your kids? When I met Star, my wife, and before we even got together, we actually talked about each other's expectations. I was looking for a serious relationship, and she also. I told her I'm not necessarily staying in China. So I said, you'll have to be prepared for that, that maybe after five years, maybe after 10 years, I'm leaving. And look what's happening. Now I'm leaving. In the end, I'm, I want to go back to China. But so I'm, I'm, I'm a, like you say, it's a flex pet, right? We are flexible, so we don't, we don't want to be stuck in one place. And for my Belgian family, it's, it's, I think, more difficult than for my Chinese family, because for my Belgian family, you know, I have not been back in Belgium for two and a half years since COVID. And last time my family saw me and Star, she was pregnant for three months. And then by this time, we already have two kids and my family haven't even met them. So for them, it's, uh, it's really, uh, it's really difficult. When I look at myself, my life, and also my family, and where do we live, I really put a lot of importance on my kids. Some years ago, I read an article about modern philosophy, like what, what philosophers do now, and really much work is really influenced by Nietzsche. So, so yeah, so, so I think he was a great thinker. And what he said about kids of mixed marriages, he says they are smarter, but not because of mixed blood or genes, but because they grow up at the intersection of cultures. So it's a constant, you know, clash of civilizations or the clash of ideas that actually challenges ourselves and the more even challenges our kids to think about what we what we feel is is normal they're always challenged right so this is this is really uh, interesting not just for 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 my kids but even for me because my kids are are, are a mirror to myself i hear that you are kol in china and i don't think we've had a kol on the show yet so what do your followers what do they learn from you I don't really see myself as a KOL yet because I, I do have videos on Douyin. So we started like two years ago. But so in Douyin, you have categories. And my category is I'm a foreigner, like a non-Chinese talking on Douyin. That's really a category on Douyin. And so I have, I have 200,000 followers. But in this category, I think if you are really a, a, a big KOL, you have to start from 500,000 to 1 million followers. So I'm just uh, starting out. But so I try to point out the differences between China and Europe, Europe, and I try to really build a positive message because you have so much anger in the world now and, and so much conflict, like, um, you know, also between the USA and China. But I try to build a positive message. So showing that differences are an opportunity to learn, to grow, and that differences make you stronger. Uh, my my Toyin account, so the name of the account is 
Diego Hayardia. So that's Diego, that's my, my Chinese name. Hayardia. Hayardia is my, my wife's name, uh, or nickname. And so it's, it's the, it's a couple's account. And so what I, what I want to show is Chinese and European, we are a couple and we actually get stronger and better because of our differences. That's really cute. That's really nice. I, I'm, I would love to do something like this. I've always been thinking about starting some social media channel in Chinese, but I was never, never brave enough. So I really envy you. What are you really thankful for looking back on, on what you just shared, your Flexpad life and your career and your education and your life in China and in, in Europe? What are you thankful for? I came here for work, of course, but in the end, you, you want to build up a life here. And that's also what I did. So I, I met my wife. Now we have two kids. Uh, most of my best friends are Chinese. So I, I would say 99% of my friends that I have a, a good relationship with and that, that I keep contact with are Chinese. And China really changed me. So th this is really, when I say I build up a family here, that's also a kind of change because my family, um, it's really a, not a European family at all, but it's not a Chinese family at all uh, either. And so also for, for my kids, I am moving now to Holland for the next uh, few years, but I will move back to China uh, before my oldest son, Leo, goes to primary school because I want him to go to primary school in China, really like the normal public school in China. That's really what I want. Um, and yeah, so that's what I'm, what I'm thank thankful for, that I have a very beautiful family, a beautiful life in China, and also that I'm that I accepted to become more Chinese than I think more than I think most Europeans are and even have my kids. You know, my kid is uh, my kids are both Chinese nationality and also their surname is Hong. So the, their surname is uh, from their mom. And, and I did that on purpose because I want them to be you know, integrated in Chinese society. What is special about the Chinese school system, which you like and you want to have for your kids? The Chinese kids have a lot of pressure, but I think the pre so that's a bad side. So I think the pressure is related mainly to going to the university. So they have the Gaokao, the entry exam. So that's the that's the negative side. But the positive is really that Chinese education is really good for hard knowledge like uh, physics, uh, biology, mathematics, chemistry. I think Chinese people are so smart in terms of knowledge that they have. And this is really different from the European education. I don't know for Germany, but in Belgium, my teacher, when I was at middle school, he literally told me, you don't need to learn this stuff by heart. You just need to learn how to use Google. And I think that's really wrong because if you don't have anything inside you, it's like a, like a zero base that you have to do any thinking. I want to give them the opportunity to go to abroad uh, for middle school after they're 15. So just first build the knowledge, build the, you know, make them very smart in terms of uh, hard knowledge. And then after 15, give them the opportunity to do more creative thinking, out of the box thinking, uh, and don't have the pressure of the Gaokao so that they can grow up to be, uh, I, I think that that's a, that's a good path for them. That sounds fantastic. What about yourself? What do you see for the next 10 years? You just, I think you shared about your 10 years before, but I want to be more specific. What do you see next 10 years? Also, where China changed me, that China likes to do long-term thinking, like with their five-year plan and, and even longer-term planning. Uh, and so I also started doing that, uh, especially after I turned 30. I'm now more in a leading position. I'm more proactive, so I, I need to really uh, 
develop the market in, in my own way. From income perspective, like the money that I earn, my income is quite diversified already uh, with a basic salary and then income from sales commission. I have two houses in Europe, which I rent out and I do some stock trading, a little bit from, from the work I, as a KOL, but not a lot. Uh, so the reason why I'm talking about income is this is really very important for what you want to do in, or what you are able to do in the future. So every year I will look at my income and I will try as much as possible to find ways to be less dependent on salary. And so after 10 years, I want to be really financially like independent and use the experience that I build up in the robotics world, combine it with my financial experience from the bank industry in the past. And uh, yeah, hopefully uh, I can find a good partner to co-found my own company where I can use my skills like sales and management uh, attract funding and stuff uh, and then have a co-founder who is more like uh, technical so this is uh, something really that i'm looking forward to to uh, as a target that's really great we uh, we really have a lot in common because i have similar thoughts i don't have the houses in europe uh, and i also don't have the kol income but i really envy what you do i think it's fantastic on your really high level on all you have achieved and your plans your family It seems to many flexpats, it's just very hard to reach. If you're talking about this high level, what are you afraid to lose? You're 40 and you have no money and all your houses are lost and whatever. And you have no money, you start from zero. What about that? Are you afraid of that? In that scenario that you mentioned, I don't think I would be uh, depressed or whatever in any way, because there is so so much other stuff that could happen that is worse. That, that's a really good message. Tell me one more thing about your wife. You just said she's a wrestler, I think. What, what are you proud about when you talk about her? So when I when I when I was thinking of a long-term relationship, I the first um, parameter, so to say, I had a list in Excel of things that I uh, wanted my partner to have. <laughs> so the first parameter that I had was she needed to like sports, and the and the reason why is because I think people who are sporty are very um, positive and proactive and they, they love life. And so my wife, she is a three times world champion wrestling. So she used to be the captain of the Chinese women wrestling team. So that's really like, uh, wow. So you are two high performers. You love studying and you can obviously feel the energy and your wife is a world champion. So how do you feel this culture of high performance get into your kids and the way they grow up? Uh, if I look at my kids, I think my, my wife is invaluable. Like to the, uh, to the, to, like she has the biggest impact, I believe on uh, how my kids will become. And that's because obviously she's a mother and she's a full-time housewife. So she, she really is uh, close to them. But of course I try also to be a good father. So when I, in the week, usually I will, um, I will work very hard. So obviously that's a kind of example also for the kids so that they, they obviously see their, their dad working. Uh, but then in the weekend, I try to put 100% of my time aside for my wife and my kids because they're young now. So they have a, a nap. So that's when I will do some work for myself. Like I, I do some reading or some planning or whatever. But for the rest of the time, I try to really be relaxed with them. What do I want for my kids? What do I want to achieve for my kids? I want to cultivate uh, in my kids the winner mentality. So I don't care what they do. They can be a painter. They can be a swimmer. They can be uh, a hairdresser. But I want them to be confident and they need to have a winner mentality. So I want them to know that whatever they want to do, they can do it. That sounds a fantastic way to end this episode. Who should listen to this podcast episode and why? And what message would you like to share? 
So anyone who has the ambition to grow and who wants to grow through change. So that means that anyone who wants different cultures and conflicts of culture and conflicts of thought to be actually instead of a obstacle, a motor, a driver for personal growth. Anyone could uh, who is listening could take this with them from this episode is, is that I hope that they can be inspired about how culture and different culture can uh, can actually change you uh, to become a better person. Okay, so I really hope that our audience that they will that they will share this episode with their friends uh, because there's so much to learn from you and I do think that this kind of profile that you represent this young professional who learns Chinese who goes to China and who works with Chinese companies comes back to Europe and opens the European market, this is something which is growing. And this is what the China Flexpit podcast is all about. We just don't have so many people like you to learn from. So I really appreciate what you did today. And I want to ask everybody in the audience to, to help us and recommend it and leave us a five-star review on your podcast app. This would be really appreciated. Uh, I just wanted to say <laughs> because I think what you're doing is really good. So it's the 99th episode. Keep the, the good work going. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye.